This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford, here with my co-host, Mark Sinell. Hi, Mark. Hi, Carolyn. Good morning. Good morning. So today we get to talk to Mike Groose, Editor-in-Chief at Sightline Media Group, to discuss some of the hottest topics in the government IT industry. Sightline Media Group is the leading news organization covering military, defense, public sector, federal technology, C4ISR, and cyber defense. And today we get to talk to Mike and unpack some of the biggest trending topics in government IT and get Mike's perspective on the DOD's advancement in technology. Mike, welcome to Tech Transforms. It's good to see you again. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I was, just, I was just saying I love having you on the show because you have such a broad knowledge and you just really have your finger on the pulse of what's happening, happening in government. So you're over a lot of publications. Can you tell our listeners briefly about your role as editor-in-chief of Sightline Media Group and the different publications you oversee? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Sightline is oversees a, a number of brands, as you mentioned. I, I like to think of us as um, the largest national security newsroom in, in the country. And, and so we have kind of two or three different buckets that our, our publications fall into. But what we've really concentrated on the last year or so is, is working collaboratively across the newsroom. So um, you may recognize specific brands, but I think our reporters are working across several brands or, or across the newsroom. So, um, you know, there's the Military Times brands, which are Military Times, Army Times, Air Force Times, Navy Times, and Marine Corps Times. And those are, those are kind of geared toward toward the troops. And you'll see the, those publications, obviously online, they're available um, at commissaries. And then there's also our business to government group. And those are publications like Defense News, which covers the defense industry and um, what's happening at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, kind of the, the business and politics of um, defense acquisitions, and also C4ISRNet, which focuses more on that network warfare aspect of the defense industry. And then the last publication we have is Federal Times, which focuses on uh, the federal workforce and, and what they need and what's happening there on kind of a, a day-to-day basis. So it's a lot, but we have a, a really passionate and, and skilled newsroom that thinks hard about these issues and, and they work really hard to get scoops up and they work really hard to get enterprise news stories that will help people understand what's happening at their job and make better decisions every day at work. I love the specialization. I mean, because obviously you get a lot of stories that are going to be broad across, yeah. but when you take it and get specific to the mission of the different branches and the different missions, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't like to use the word expert because I think it's I think it's overused. But 
I'd say all of our reporters have a tremendous amount of knowledge in, in their field, and they work really hard to ask smart questions, to be able to explain issues clearly, and, and to know the nuances. And, and I, think that's, I think that comes through in our reporting. I definitely agree. And I would absolutely use the word expert. And I would love for you to talk about your perspective on how the DOD is making advancements in technology. Do you think they're taking the right steps right now? Um, you know, I, this is such a, this is a difficult question. And I think there's such like this, this push pull that we have to do here. And um, I'm curious how, how you guys think of it too, but, but uh, on one hand, uh, I think we have to recognize the complexity of what, particularly DOD has to do when it comes to IT, right? Like it's, um, they have to be the most secure, for example. Mm -hmm. Like if they are not secure, no one's going to give them a pass. No one's going to say, whoops, like that, you missed that part. Like you you didn't patch that. You didn't have that working. Oh, well, like that's that's not going to happen. They have to be, we give them no leeway, right? And that's, that's how it should be. And they have a tremendous budget to make sure they have no leeway. On the other hand, I get, I wouldn't say frustrated, but I think sometimes we're expected to celebrate advancements that industry made 10, 15 years ago. And are you thinking of something specific? Um, <laughs> I mean, let's, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I, I think cloud is the one that probably comes to mind first. Mm -hmm. But I think when you also talk about bring your own device, um, yeah. you, you talk about uh, even telework, you know, these are things that, you know, every, like, I don't want to say every, but many major corporations across the country figured these ideas out years and years and years ago. And, and I think to say like, well, look at us, we did that, you know, we did this. It's like, okay, well, you, you don't get, we sh you shouldn't get so much credit for doing it. At the same time, like I started with, there, there is that complexity of doing it at the size and scale they do it and, and with the, the level of security they do it. So that, that's where I kind of have this push and pull where I'm always careful of saying like, all right, this is, this is a step forward for them, but is it, like, are we judging them on the right scale? So I think that's where I, that's where I sometimes have questions. You, you bring up something really interesting. It, it brings to, to mind the executive order on end-user experience that's come out. And so when I think of the DOD, I think of, okay, there's an element of the DOD that fights wars, protects the country. That's one element of it. But then there's the other element of, look, making it easy for the people who work in the Department of Defense to actually live their lives, get met, get healthcare, you know, you know, make sure that they're being paid right. All these things that that seem to dovetail on that. I wanted to get your thoughts around that executive order, and are you guys tackling that um, at this juncture? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think we're watching. Um, I, I can't speak specifically to that executive order, but I think those are the types of issues that we're we're kind of constantly grappling with. And and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you that there's there's two separate and 
you know, two separate schools of thought on IT and DoD because, because you know, a couple of years ago, and, and you you saw this, there was this, you know, in the in the Mattis era, you know, everyone wanted to speak his speak his language and use his use his uh, the same glossary of terms he did. So you would hear folks like I, I very clearly remember it being at a DISA event where someone said, no, sending, sending an email promotes lethality. And you're like, come on. And, and, and you're like, come on, like email is not lethality. And like somewhere we have to draw the line. Like, yes, every little bit contributes to kinetic war operation. If, if you want to think about it but that way, but I, I have a hard time pulling the thread that far where I'm like, okay, email is, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. email is lethality. I don't so think the DOD looks at the world like, because you mentioned the commercial sector, which yeah. I, I've worked in both. And, and, and you're, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that the, the, the commercial world has adopted technologies much faster. They're ahead of the game. Of course, they also have, they have employees, which the DOD has, which is kind of their end user, right? Unless, unless it's an enemy, then they're the end user of, a, of a, you know, uh, lethality. So to speak, yeah. but in the commercial world, you know, they do have customers that they have to to cater to, which I think the DoD maybe has neglected. Neglected. Um, yeah, or doesn't uh, you know maybe to your point doesn't think of its employees or as customers, and that's yeah. probably mm-hmm. one of the issues. So well, and I've been learning recently about ATOs, authority to operate. So in my brain. I thought an ATO, they got a stamp and they got to use the application. Like once they got the ATO, it's done. Not the case. Like I am baffled and the thought of what they have to go through on a regular basis to to maintain that ATO, like thousands of hours per application is just unwieldy to me and, and makes me sick to my stomach. I'm like, that's about when I would quit when I had to like go through that ATO again. So they have that. I'd like to put you on the spot here a little bit. Do you think there, or what has DOD excelled in that maybe the commercial world hasn't Hmm. in technology? Um, That's a really good, that's a great question. I'm not, I'm not sure. I would, you know, I would guess, I mean, I'd be curious what you guys think of this too, you know, there's part of me that thinks from a security standpoint mm-hmm. that as much as that's an area where it slows them down and they're critiqued for, um, I think in many in many instances they seem to have gotten it right. So let's let's take for example solar winds. There was the you know the vulnerability there. And it's, it seems from what we know, and obviously I don't know everything, I'm, you know, but from what I've read and what our reporters have, have said, other government agencies were hurt um, or were more vulnerable. DOD seems to have been, seems to have done okay there. They knew there were attempts, but it seems like everything that's been said publicly and the best that our reporters can tell is that because of the strength of their network that they were able to withstand this. And like, I think there's part of me that is kind of skeptical, like, well, wait a minute, what did you guys do differently that everyone else did? But like, we also have to give them credit for that, that, you know, there, we look at 
the companies across the world that were hit with, you know, that with that vulnerability. And I think that that uh, that bar is so high. There's no alternative. It's table stakes. And so they had to they had to do it right. So they maybe they suffered in some ways, uh, adaptability or agility, you know, but they had to deliver on it. I, I mean, my gut feeling would tell me, and I don't know this, I'm, I'm speculating like most of us, that the ability to, to wage war is an area where technology is something they do well, yeah. but that doesn't necessarily help, you know, a lot of the day-to-day, you know, IT workings of the Department of Defense. Yeah, but or- what I hear you saying is, the mission of the DOD is to protect and defend, and they excel at it. And I like that. To, I like what, and to use Mark's word, and I think he's absolutely right there. The agility that there is, there is a tra- there is a trade off, mm-hmm. and yeah. like you can, like you can't have it both ways. You can't say excel in this area, and uh, also like there's zero, there's zero, uh, there's zero, room zero for, trust. Yeah. Zero, <laughs> zero, but zero room for error. And then when they're, but so you have to, there, there is a trade-off. And I think maybe what the, the conversation that's happening now is, is that trade-off are those trade-offs kind of balanced or aligned the way that they should be. So I'm a great straight man. So, uh, Speaking of zero trust, yeah, can you give us your thoughts on zero trust and and maybe even you know touch on the the Thunderdome? Uh, yeah, and I, I, the, I think the Thunderdome the Thunderdome award is interesting from DISA, but you know here's I guess I have a couple questions, which is we see these. And you, you, I'm coming off way more skeptical than, than I really am <laughs> during this podcast. But I think uh, that's the ruling plan, right? But that the um, we see these cybersecurity philosophies come up every couple couple of years. Um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but the risk framework we we heard about a couple of years ago. Um, I think I think all of these ideas evolve. And I feel like we're not we're not too far away from where we were maybe five or or ten years ago, but that this is just the most natural evolution of that. I mean, I, I think you know, as as a late person, and when I, I so many of these ideas, I relate back to my home or my own personal uh, security, and I'm like, oh well, this this makes sense that that this is how zero trust operates. I don't want someone else speaking to my, you know, my speak, my Bluetooth speaker that's on right now. I don't want to say its name, but, <laughs> or my, uh, um, you know, I don't want someone else uh, turning on the lights in my house or something like that. That all makes sense. Someone accessing my bank account. But I guess the two questions, the, the couple of questions I have right now are like, how will this work in the future? Like as, you know, how will it work with legacy systems? And as we have these legacy systems throughout DOD, how will they be able to, will they be, I guess, one, will they be able to be upgraded to work with the zero trust architecture? And two, how will they do that? And is that, what again, what's the trade-off there? Like how much are you going to pay and how much work is that going to take to make sure that every element of, you know, a new destroyer 
works with that zero trust architecture. And, and I think that's, that's difficult. The other question I have is, you know, we're obviously moving into this, this new world of um, where everything's connected and, and, you know, well, the, the program is called Jed C2, but this sensor to shooter where everything, you know, you use any sensor in the world and connect it to any shooter in the world. And, you know, how does zero trust architecture work with that? And how does it work with international alliances? And I, I feel like those, they're, they're big ideas, but again, this is something where, you know, there's, there's like zero trust only works if, if it's working with everyone. Right. And so I, I feel like they're, there's still a lot of room for explanation and improvement, but uh, like, I think this is like, it seems like it's the right path for now and, you know, getting everyone on board and making it kind of the universal approach, which is what we've seen. I mean, the last, what, 12, 18 months, maybe, uh, maybe there's been more concerted effort during that time to get everyone on the same page here. It feels like, this this is the way that it's going to go, and this is the way it's going to work, and and not just DoD, but also industry is kind of on board with this idea, which is which is what you need. And then I think Feels we'll that see way to me too. Yeah. yeah, and then maybe in the next two or three years, we'll see the next evolution of what this ever this is, and we'll be talking about something else. It all it almost it 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 feels to me that cybersecurity generally is a weapon system that needs to be invested in, like you would invest in warfare capabilities like the f-35 it's it it needs that type of investment it certainly seems like and i don't know how much this is politics or scare tactics or what but that our adversaries are are looking at it that way and using it you know as a means to disrupt what we do and take our eye off the ball you know wherever that may be going it just feels that way um i also i also feel like Zero trust is is an, is a it's a it's a current um, path that should change. This should all change every couple of years, um, to, because if we don't change, I mean, certainly that the, the the landscape is changing so fast. We we can't. It can't be something that we say this is what we're going to do for the next fifteen years. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, no. You know. So Thunderdome, aside from being an awesome name, yes to be honest, is a little perplexing to me because I feel like, and maybe I've just been in this industry too long, but I feel like we've been talking about zero trust for a decade and it's been a big push for the DOD for at least five years. So when I read about Thunderdome, the way I understand it is it's, we're going to build out a prototype. And I thought, I thought we already had that. So I'm a little confused. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the most recent award was more for spe- uh, specific prototypes involving specific technologies. Um, mm. So I, uh, I, I don't. I think the idea is still out. I, I would say generally the idea has been is out there and it's been adopted, and we've seen we've seen it be a top uh, a top priority for the IT leaders. I think maybe now some of the questions are how do you, and I hate this word, but how do you implement that philosophy? Like what are the, how do, how do you make sure that, like what are the tools in place to make sure that everything is working as it's, as, as is expected? 
So that's that's how I'm that's how I'm reading some of these more recent contract announcements. That, okay, that makes sense. That actually helps me. So I would love to get your predictions. You know, I love predictions from you, yeah. Mike. So what are your predictions for government IT in 2022? Sure. Um, so I thought a little bit about this and, you know, you can tell some are more surprising than others, but um, I think the first one is um, I think we're going to see uh, IT savvy leaders. So that doesn't necessarily mean just IT leaders, but I would say IT savvy leaders are going mm-hmm. to have a bigger seat at the table or will be invited to the table where maybe they weren't in the past. So um, I think that's something that's been happening the last couple of years, but I think I think it will evolve. I think that's going to continue to evolve at a faster and faster rate. And are you uh, thinking more DOD specifically, or is this yes. across the government? Yeah. So DOD, yeah. I think it's probably happening across the government. You know, I spend most of my time on DOD issues. So um, I'd say that's what's going to happen. But, you know, let me give, give you an example. I was at a breakfast in October and there was a, a general officer and he, so someone who's been around for a while and been promoted a number of times. And he said, only in the last six months did I fully understand what data as ammunition means. And I thought, wow, like that, like how could you have only heard that in, or really grasped that in the last six months? Like this is an idea that's been, I mean, I've, I've covered national security about 10 years and I feel like that's been an idea the, the entire time. And so I think that's where I kind of say, I think IT savvy leaders who have really kind of adopted and embraced the like data first mentality, they, I think they're going to start, you they think will it, get more promoted more and have a, you know, like I said, I just have a seat at the table, whereas maybe folks who are a little more, I don't know what the right word is, data hesitant, not, well, not data curious, won't. So do you think that it might be a semantic thing? Like we've got a little language barrier going on because our DOD leaders, like Intel is king. And I think that they would all agree with that, right? And Intel, data is Intel. Are we just, is it a language barrier? Um, or, is it a, or is it a culture? Yeah. I, I, probably, but I think it's probably a little, I mean, not a little, I think it's probably a lot of both. Um, I don't think the culture has been there. And I don't think, I certainly don't think the culture has been there. And I think when people say data, they're like, oh, I'm not an IT person or I'm not this person. And I, I just think that's, that's not the way the world works anymore. Like every, everyone's a data person. Or yeah. if you're you see, not. Mike, do you see any, any shift in that culture of late from, you know, a lot of the military shifts over, seems like every 18, 24 months, they yeah. have new jobs. And maybe the IT is not a place where that should be done. You know, yeah. um, I don't, do, you see, I don't, do you see any of that? Um, I think I see it evolving. I think the last couple cycles, you know, to use to use the idea you're talking about, um, I think there's probably it, it feels from, you know, from where I sit that there's been maybe some more savvy folks, but not just in the IT departments in or not the IT, uh, you know, like the CIO's offices. Right. I would say it's kind of across the board that we're seeing 
but um, I would expect, I guess my prediction is I expect that that to, I expect that to continue to happen faster and faster. I think the other thing that's related to that, that I expect to see less of is I just wrote down patience with IT. And so I expect that when there are problems, there's not going to be the, not that folks do so much of that now, but I think, you know, I I don't know if you guys followed this, but last week there was a a letter from an Air Force officer that went viral when the hashtag was kind of fix our computers. I hope I got that right. But, and it was all about, you know, how much money and time and red tape is being wasted just because basic functions uh, don't work. And so if if you're seeing that, type of very public outburst from, and I don't say that pejoratively, I mean, it was the complaints were were merited, but if you're seeing that happen at the officer level from folks who are running, you know, tech incubators, you know, imagine what's happening by folks who don't feel empowered to speak out. Mm -hmm. And so I think the patience there is, is very, very thin and people and senior leaders are going to say, we, we just can't operate this way anymore. And that's, yeah. and, and I don't want to put too much weight on, but you saw, you know, the Air Force CIO, you saw other CIOs weigh in on LinkedIn and say, hey, you're absolutely right. We got to fix this. This is, mm-hmm. and here are some of the steps we're taking. But if if that conversation is becoming public in that way, I think the patience is like, it, you, you maybe you worn out. It's an interesting perspective. I didn't think of it that way. Well, they're uh, demanding a user experience, right? And I just saw a tweet from Nick Shalon that said, would it be faster to list everything that is not broken? No. (laughs) I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he he was very like, and I think, you know, he was part of this. I think we've seen it with some of the Navy um, IT leaders recently is they've been very public about, hey, this doesn't work. Like this, mm-hmm. this is not what people expect. And this is, you know, and you can't have these same conversations and then say, well, we're going to dominate the world with AI. And it's like, how, with what computers, who are, <laughs> where are you working? Like with what technology? And like, so there's this disconnect. And I think folks, um, at least publicly are starting to address the, you know, hey, we if we want this to work the way we describe it as as working, things have things have got to change. So I think I think I would say a greater seat at the table for some of these IT leaning or IT savvy folks, less patience with IT. And then the, the last thing I'd say, and this one's maybe a little riskier, is I think the one thing we haven't seen with um, DoD IT very often is kind of gamification. Of IT, mm. and so I'm kind of curious where and when that starts to fit in, and how. Um, you know, I think I think we've seen a little bit of that in industry, and maybe in some of the other government agencies. But I, I'm kind of curious where that could start to lead to real advances, and I and I don't I don't have a great idea where, but I I think that's that's something particularly with you know, so many employees who are under 25, where that could be a, a really attractive, easy way to make some advances. It's it's less it's less exciting probably in the traditional IT arena than it is in the warfighter side of yeah. the house, you know. Yeah. I read an article in, I'm not going to say the name of the magazine because it's not one of yours. Thank you. 
um, <laughs> about it's it's a step it's a it's virtual reality but it's help me Mike it's it's more than virtual reality like kind of like the metaverse yeah where they're using it in the DOD to like simulate these real life experiences like a fire or yeah and what it can you help smart me cities do what smart cities well no it's I'll find it and we'll put it in the show notes more it's like like augmented reality. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. Ah. Yes. And I can see, I, I mean, I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And I see how this would be really useful to advance our understanding of things and just learn faster. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So predictions are um, more IT savvy leaders. Uh intolerance for bad IT or demanding a good user experience and then the gamification, which I love. I mean, I've also read a study, uh, one of the women that did a lot in um, video games, I forget her name, but she wrote a book on gamification and how virtual reality was better at managing a burn victim's pain while their burns were being cleaned than morphine because yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So love that. Wow. So, wow. all right, we're going to go to our tech talk questions, which are just kind of okay. fun, quick hit questions. Mark, you want the first one? Um, okay. Well, uh, um, I'm going to skip the first one because the first one uh, <laughs> we kind of already talked about, but all I would right. say, so, so in regard to podcasts or, TV shows or books or anything like that. What is inspiring you these days um, when it comes to technology? Sure. I think there, there's, there's two I would point out. So um, my wife got me uh, a good book for Christmas and it doesn't sound like a tech book. It's called the baseball 100 and it's by Joe Posnanski, who's uh, a columnist for the athletic and a very, very gifted sports writer. And this book is um, it's basically about the 100 greatest baseball players of all time. But what I'd argue that why you're like, well, what does this have to do with tech? But what it has got me thinking about tech is um, a couple of ways. One, there are all these different metrics that we use now to talk about baseball that weren't around 20, 30, and certainly not 50 or a hundred years ago. And so it has me thinking a lot about the metrics we use and, and how they evolve and how we compare you know, in this case, players of different eras, but just how we compare anything from from different eras. And then the second part of that is, um, you know, many of the players that he he ranks in this this top 100 are Negro League players who never um, played in the big leagues, and that mm. the statistics are not the same and are not as clean. Um, the data is not as clean as it mm-hmm. is for major league players. So it's um, thinking about piecing together some of those older bits of data and how you can still draw relevant comparisons. So um, that it just got me, uh, he points a lot to a website called Seamheads, but um, it just has me thinking a lot about data and how it's put together and how you manage it and how it could be used for applications in the future that you may not expect. So that's one. And then the other one is a little more lighthearted, but I, I've, my father-in-law just turned 75. I just flew back from seeing him over the weekend and I watched um, 
Oceans 8 as on the way back. <laughs> but um, what I, you know what I, I, there's all sorts, like there's 3D printing and all sorts of other, um, there's plenty of hacking in, in that movie. But I think, um, I think there's a couple themes there that it had me think about. One is that none of us are, are none of us and none of our technology is infallible. And mm. um, it's, I think we sometimes expect like, oh, well, you know, we just add more technology and it, and it will get better. But the other the other theme there that it had me thinking about is kind of like, you know, in this case, I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone, but they're they're talking a lot about whether or not these jewels are are real. But I think there is a I think thematically that is something that that is going to come up a lot. Is our data real? Are the things that mm. we're looking at true? Like this this whole you know, search for truth and verification. I think that's, I think that's a huge theme in technology going forward that, that what we see, we know it's real. We can see the work and how it got there. And um, so those are, those are two ideas I've had recently, just from, from my lighter. Those are good one time. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It reminds me of Moneyball with the baseball. Love Moneyball. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good yeah. one. Okay. So here's, let's go down this rat hole. In the first Matrix, I forget the character's name that wants to get put back into the Matrix. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care that this isn't real. I'm putting this steak in my mouth. So like, what, what is reality, right? So right. what it, does it matter? I mean, we, we see that now with like NFTs and, you know, all sorts yes. of like ways, like, oh, why do, like, would someone want this? And like, that's where I, that's where I, that's part of why I started mentioning verification and like, how do we, like, yeah. we want to know that this is the original or we want, we want to know that this is real. And um, one thing we haven't talked about so far, but is obviously information warfare. And I think that's, you know, this, mm -hmm. this whole quest for what is propaganda? What is, um, you know, is someone altering news? Uh, is someone um, putting, uh, you know, fake reports out, you know, for any number of areas, like those are the types of things that uh, I think that real quest for knowing what we know and how we know it. I think that's, um, I think it's a very old, uh, a very old part of what the DOD does, but I think it's going to be, you know, just an increasingly huge part of, of just modern life and technology. Yeah. All right. Last question. Do you have a favorite app or a gadget, something that you use a lot? I mean, and I love how you're going down the trashy lane with baseball and, you know, Ocean's 8. So Baseball's keep going that trashy. Way. Come on. <laughs> um, all right. So I'll give you, I'll give you one super, like my wife will be like, oh my God, why did you bring this up? But then the other is a little more serious. So the app I love to waste time on, it's, um, it's just a straight video game. It's the FIFA mobile video game it's just a soccer game and I, I don't know why but I've enjoyed playing it for a really long time but it's I love that thanks for being doesn't do so anything real. for me no it's just it's hey just it fun. gives no. it gives you joy and pleasure right that's right? it and it, I'm not thinking about other things but the gadget I do love uh, it's my um I'm a big runner and so I, I wear a, a Garmin forerunner watch and it, mm. the amount of data that it generates and how it helps with workouts and pacing and heart rate and did you get enough sleep did you are you 
Did you, you eat wear it, it while you sleep? Yep. Wow. I, I so, pretty much wear it all the time. Have you compared it to other gadgets? Like, I don't think the Apple Watch is even in the same. I mean, I guess it's the same category, but have you used others and it have landed on the Garmin? I've used previous versions of this one. And I, and what I'll tell you, when I first got this a couple of years ago, I was like, why am I going to, I don't even really need this. Like, why am I, like, I was very hesitant. And finally I was like, this will be fun. Like, it'll just try it. But um, it's kept me very healthy in terms of like, when I was running before, I would get injured all the time from trying to do too much or too little. And this, it's just like the way it, I don't know, manipulates probably not the right word, but the way it kind of uses the data to let you know, like, hey, here's here's how you're feeling or here's how you're, mm-hmm. you're not. It's just a really, it's, um, maybe it's all psychosomatic, who knows? But like, no, I love, it, uh, da- I it love data. Yeah, I love it. I mean, a few years ago, I was starting to like maybe get a little chubby. And so my first thought was, oh, I need to go to the doctor because clearly something is wrong with my thyroid. And then I had another thought. I was like, well, maybe I should, you know, wear something like the Garmin or the Apple Watch and see how active I am. There's nothing wrong with my thyroid. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) The data got me back on track. (laughs) Yeah. So it's stuff like that that's helpful. And that's fun. That's that's fun. That's been, um, like, like I said, it just changes how you think about a lot of things. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us, Mike. This has been really fun. It has been fun. Thank you, Mike. All right. We'll be in touch. Yeah. Thanks to our listeners. You can find what we talked about in the show notes and all of my fractured thoughts. I'll get the actual books and names to add to those show notes. So don't forget to share uh, this episode with your friends and smash that like button. We will talk to you next week on Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.